One of the things that our feast day today helps us to appreciate, whether we do or not, I'm not sure, but it's, it certainly is an invitation to help us to appreciate the institutional church, in particular, the teaching magisterium. Because after all, the feast that we're celebrating is all about who Jesus really is and the controversy and conflict that developed in the early days as they reflected on the incarnation. Reflecting on is who Jesus is and what does he bring to the table for us. You and I take it for granted because, well, we've been living it and practicing it for 2,000-some years, but in the early days of the church, this was a great mystery. How on earth can God come into the flesh? There's, of course, all kinds of different mythologies out there. The whole Roman mythology and all the gods that they had, certainly the Greeks. How do you and I, the person of Jesus Christ, come to understand that God comes in our skin, into our world, into our situation? And so it had to be the church who finally gave the stamp, if you will, of approval on what we believe and what we have been believing for so long. The Council of Ephesus is one that declared Mary as Theotokos, the God-bearer, the one who brings forth God into the world. But what does that actually mean? Was Jesus God, born, and then all of a sudden some spiritual thing happened to him? It was added on later? Or did Mary really give birth to God? How could she? She who began in time can't really bring forth he who was always except in the second person of the Blessed Trinity. So this is the conflict that was going on in the early church that the church had to finally make a, a statement that this is what we believe that Jesus Christ is true God and true man, one person, two natures. What does that mean for us? Big deal. Is this just theological jargon? Well, the church again reflected on it and reflected on the whole Testament. Why was it they couldn't overcome sin? What was it about the situation that, that made them keep repeating and repeating, much like what we experience in our own lives at times? How can a human being overcome the death toll that was given to us through Adam and Eve, original sin? Only God can overcome it. But God, we know, again, through the whole Old Testament, doesn't want to just simply snap his fingers and let us off the hook. We who are parents or pastors of people know that if you just always solve the problem for the child, the child never matures, never grows up, never becomes responsible. I, did I say pastor? I meant just people in general. <laughs> I'm here all week, folks. So how is it that we who created the mess can be part of the solution? Well, it's the hypostatic union with divinity and humanity coming together, which only God can do. Great gift for us. And, again, using a human 
and their free will, now you and I have options that were not available previously. It's as if the gates of heaven have been opened up. Again, previously they weren't. But through Jesus, these gates now are open so that you and I, although we may continue to struggle with the fallenness of our condition, at least there is someone who in the end solves the problem for us, and that is Christ Jesus. So we contemplate today the participation of the human person in salvation history, and again, what that means for us personally. It isn't, we are not bystanders. We're not simply observers. We must participate. And what does that mean? It means daily living out our life like Mary did for God. As we contemplated yesterday, the Holy Family, Mary didn't have a free pass. Her life was very complicated, very difficult, very challenging. She wasn't above the, the fray of the human condition. She may have been given a special grace to bring about a special act, but it didn't override or take away her freedom. She fully participated in it. And that's the invitation for you and I, to consider that my place in history right now, this day in this church, if I weren't doing it or if I did it, haphazardly, or if I didn't care, what ripple effect does that have for the future generations? If Mary would have just said, yeah, you know what, you know, I'm kind of busy today, and I'll get around to being the mother of Jesus. You know, I've got, you know, I've got a gig on the side, you know, a small uh, personal business, basket weaving. I think she liked to basket weave. You know, I'm kind of busy. I can't take Jesus to, you know, Boy Scouts right now. I'm kind of, you know, the Jewish Scouts, I guess it would probably be. I'm really busy. And, you know, no, she took her vocation very seriously. She realized what she was raising. And so, that, again, for our reflection, to realize what we're raising, souls that will live forever, not just you and the family, but we, we as church, Whenever we baptize, we're the ones participating now. We're, again, not just, oh, isn't that lovely for that family over there. These are our brothers and sisters, and they're going to need our help in raising that child in the faith in such a difficult and dark world. Parents today, young parents today, don't always know the ropes of life. They need mentors. We can't just sit by and watch them and say, well, I hope they make it. That's not what those around Mary and Joseph did. They were participants, and Mary and Joseph with Jesus, participants, and Jesus for us and with us, participants, his divine grace working in us and through us to help us be the people we're called to be. Again, sometimes we think this means that we'll never make mistakes or that we have to be perfect or we have to control the environment. It's actually the opposite. We just have to be who we are. As broken and fallen as we are, when we've sinned, we say we're sorry, we pick up, and we continue on. This is the great gift that Mary said yes to. 
offering you and I the Savior of the world, salvation in our world and in the next world. We're called to imitate her. Let's pray for that grace.